0: Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes, from deep within you, leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weidman, blended three decades' experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us, and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You'll be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. In 1975, with a $7,000 Rotary ambassadorial scholarship in hand, 23-year-old Noelle Turner left Indiana University to study opera in Germany. She studied the German language at the Goethe Institute at Papard on the Rhine and opera in Cologne. Noelle had a career as a professional singer and developed a passion for musical theater in training others. In 1992, she became the first full professor of musical theater in Germany at the Folkwang University of the Arts. In 2013, Noel then 61 returned to Bloomington, Indiana for the very first time. At that time, she was a professor of voice and the department of musical theater at Folkwang University of the Arts. Noel was the first female member of the Rotary Club of Essen in Germany. She's a past president of that club. In 2021, Noelle was a founding member of a Rotary Passport Club in Essen, Germany. The title of this episode is Without Rotary, I would not be here today. Please join me in welcoming Noelle Turner from Essen, Germany to Embers and Wind. Welcome, Noelle.
1: Thank you very much, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: What do you remember about winning the Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship in 1975?
1: Wow, that was a big moment in my life. In fact, right here in my hand, I still have the letter from the Rotary Foundation, 5th of September, 1975. Dear Miss Hirschbeck, I had a German name in those days. It is a pleasure to advise you that the trustees of the Rotary Foundation have selected you dot, dot, dot. Thrilling. Because I had studied opera at the School of Music in Bloomington, most everyone in my class, the opera singers, were interested in going to Germany to, because that's where you could start a good singing career. And so that's basically what got me interested in applying for the Rotary Ambassador Scholarship. And I had heard about it at the university. And well, the rest is, is history.
0: Can you share a story about what it was like when you learned that you earned the scholarship.
1: I was thrilled that I had, uh, because it started a completely new path on my life and uh, meant a lot of changes and just getting ready to go to Europe I'd never been outside of the United States before, so I have to speak a language that I, I'd learned some a little in college, but had never really spoken before. And in those days, of course, we didn't have Google and uh, possibilities to find out a lot about another culture or um, another city, mm-hmm. and uh, so just. Relying basically on the few books and catalogs I could find and, and word of mouth. Showed up probably pretty naive with my two suitcases in Frankfurt in 1976.
0: How did receiving the Rotary Investorial Scholarship change your life?
1: Well, it opened so many possibilities to me, so many doors to me. As far as, like I say, first, the big step going to Germany Of course, being able to study in the opera school in Cologne, being in a country which still invests so much interest and, of course, money into culture. And I didn't intend to stay for 45 years. (laughs) The scholarship was for one year. And, of course, I didn't know where this was really taking me i was hoping it would lead me to a singing career which it did but it took me through my whole journey from doing my studies to doing a career to staying in germany and finally getting a a full professorship at the folk university and basically it's very interesting in the the department that I taught at at the university, the Mm -hmm. Department of Musical Theater, the director of our department, Professor Patricia Martin, was also a Rotary Ambassador Scholarship. So I always say our department would not have been what it was without Rotary.
0: So why did you stay in Germany after graduating?
1: Well, of course, this was sort of, wasn't really my intention, but it was sort of my dream, of course, to be in the country at that time. West Germany and East Germany were still not reunited. And Mm -hmm. in West Germany alone, where I was, there were 80 opera houses, full-time opera houses. And of course, there was a wonderful place to get experience and start a Mm -hmm. career. And things just started rolling once I got started and singing and doing concerts. And at some point, then I got married. And in 1985, I had twins, which was sort of a turning point in my life because it was difficult to stay at the theater and have two babies at home, be up all night. And it's an interesting cultural difference. I don't know, I think it's changing here a little bit, but Germany is still very traditional as far as women with children Mm. and staying at home, especially in 1985, there weren't a whole lot of possibilities. I did manage to keep working, but a full-time job at a theater, of course, was not possible. Mm And so I had my children, and when they were a year old, I was a single mom then. So I had to see to it that I could keep my family going, and I started teaching more. And when my children were six years old, I got the professorship in Essen, and I was so lucky. I had Mm -hmm. immediate tenure, and in Germany, all of the universities are state schools, which meant I was not only a professor, but I was basically an official of the state. It's sort of like being knighted. Wow. So I had the job for life and great benefits, which of course, as a single mom was just a gift from heaven for me and and just one thing was so my children were here they're they're American citizens and Germany you can't have uh, as an American double citizenship so we're all still Americans and they went to school here and now they're they're grown up and they I'm very fortunate they live nearby and of course for a long time I looked at the job market in the US to see okay what are the teaching jobs like mm-hmm. can I get a professorship somewhere but after I'd been here for about 20 years, I thought, you know, there's usually if one gets a teaching job at an American institution, you don't have tenure right away. You might be an assistant to something or somebody. And my children are here. And like I say, now they're grown up and they're they're working and uh, nearby. And I'm, I'm married now. And my husband is also here. So it's mm-hmm. I always say it's become like a life sentence.
0: So yeah. how does living in more than one country influence how you perceive people? it
1: gives you a bigger perspective like i say when uh-huh. i first came over i was totally i just i just thought everybody was going to treat me or just act like we do in the us and that cultures can be very different you know, the way mm-hmm. people feel about things the way that they, they react to things like i say the, the differences in the society like i say how the family structure is it gives you more of a perspective and it's still only two countries and i mean germany is that not that far removed from the united states you know mm-hmm. it's still in the western world and, and, and a lot of the same tradition in fact my my father's family was german from mm-hmm. wisconsin So in the beginning, it was a a difference. And there are still things that bother me Uh in Germany. Um, It's just little funny things that they don't sometimes keep a physical distance, like they walk past you, maybe bump into you and don't notice it. It's just how their culture is. You know, Uh for us, that would be considered rude or... Like if if you're talking to one of your friends or something and you they'll they'll say something to you like, you look really terrible today. You oh to me that's an insult. And Germans <laughs> do that in a way to show they care. Right. You know? but it still bothers me, you know, you look really tired. <laughs> you know, and sometimes you feel great and it makes you feel like, oh, is there something wrong with me today? Mm-hmm. You know, I would never think of telling somebody they uh-huh. didn't look good on that day. and But for them, it's a way of showing that they're interested in you and that they care about you. Yeah. But I still get insulted when people say that. It's little things like that. You know, I've lived in this society now for 45 years. I'm an official of the state of North Rhine-Westphalia, which is where mm-hmm. I teach. I still can't vote here because I'm not a citizen. Like I say, there are things mm-hmm. that really couldn't get in the beginning, like certain kinds of cereal or bagels. Mm-hmm. And now it's become so much more, through the globalization, so much more international that mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty much a lot of things are, are the same.
0: Tell us about your passion for musical theater.
1: Right, okay. You know, when I was at IU, I studied opera. Uh Uh, But of course, as a a US citizen, I grew up right outside of New York City, 25 miles Uh from New York. And by the time I was in high school, every Saturday I would go into New York City, take a piano lesson, and then go to the theater. Often the ballet or the opera, but of course Broadway. And you know, it's a cultural thing. I was on the stage for the first time in musicals in kindergarten. Our teacher wrote a a musical for us and, you know, in a real hall where we performed. You just grow up with musical and, like I say, coming from New Jersey, um, was always in contact with it. And um, I always loved it. And the reason I got involved in in Germany in musical theater is that when I started teaching, which was around 1985 when my children were born, mm-hmm. there was very little musical scene in Germany. It still hadn't hit Germany. You know, They're, they're the traditional, mm-hmm. either opera, operetta or straight theater. They have a wonderful, really wonderful actors and wonderful straight theater and repertory theater. But they just started in 1986, In Hamburg was the first time they played a big musical, had cats. And it it was in a theater and then played every day. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for people who could train the singers because there were a lot of Britons or Americans in the show. But for the Germans, Mm -hmm. they didn't have such a feel for the sound. They didn't, you know, because they didn't have a musical theater culture. So Mm -hmm. being a, a US American, I started teaching these people because we Americans have an idea of what this is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got involved in it. It was a cultural thing because I brought this with me as an American. And and there was no uh, musical theater training at that time in the colleges or Mm universities. And around the late 80s, they started developing programs for, for musical theater performers because now they had Cats running, they had mm-hmm. Starlight Express, Phantom of the Opera, and they mm-hmm. started to need musical performers. And at, up until that point, they had been importing them, usually from Britain, the US, Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, when they developed a department of musical theater at the university mm-hmm. where I taught, they advertised the professorship for mm-hmm. a musical theater a voice. And mm-hmm. there weren't that many people who had experience teaching musical theater, I had a lot of candidates for the uh-huh. position. But I had actually been teaching it, you know, for a while. Right. And so I was amazed also that I got the position, you know, immediately got this professorship and had wonderful students and was just at the theater in Berlin a few weeks ago. I saw a new German-written musical, and the main performer was a student I had taught. He graduated mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And uh, it's so nice uh, seeing my, my yes. students on stage.
0: Well, it was quite an accomplishment to be the very first exactly. to be a full professor of musical theater. I, it,
1: was, it was a big honor, but it was because there weren't that many departments of musical theater. Uh-huh. And so um, it was one of the first ones that was established. No, it definitely is, is, is a very extraordinary honor.
0: Yes. <clears throat> now, when did you start contemplating returning to the Rotary Club of Bloomington? to thank the members for the Rotary ambassadorial scholarship you received. Okay.
1: About 15 years ago it was a long, long ago, I was the the vice director of this of the school where I taught. And the director came up to me once and he said, What would you think of becoming a Rotarian? And like my heart <laughs> stopped. Of course I knew Rotary as a male uh-huh. institution and I'd never really considered the fact that I could become a Rotarian. I mean I right. like, like this amazing moment in my life because of what Rotary had given to me. Uh And Rotary Club Essen was looking to take in women. In Germany, I think even now, uh, only 13% of Rotarians are women. I mean, this is sort of developing here quite slowly. You know, they're still in a very traditional club form, which is fine, Mm -hmm. but it's moving a little slowly. And the Rotary Club in Essen, which was the old historical club, it was the, mm-hmm. first, I think it was the first club in Essen, was considering opening uh, membership to women. And of course, apparently they were having huge fights and <laughs> <some> <laughs> members. there was a lot of resistance. But anyway, to make a long story short, I became the first female member of Rotary Club Essen. And uh-huh. it was a club of 80 members. And for a whole year... I was the only female with 80 men. I mean, this was really <laughs> a challenge. But if you're in the professional world as a woman, you're used to like going to conferences and stuff, where uh-huh. you may be the only female. That's sure, also sure. that that moves slowly too, also in the corporate world. So anyway. Five years later, the incoming president asked me if I would be his vice president. And of course, we know what that means, that Mm -hmm. the year after that, you will be president. And I think everyone moans when they get that that question, because we know that it's um, an investment of a lot of time and and effort. But for me, there was no question that I would do this. Like I say, Rotary had invested so much in me. It was mm-hmm. just a small thing I could give back. So in 212, 213, I was president of Rotary Claude Essen, mm-hmm. And as I was coming into my presidential year, I thought, now this is just too good. <laughs> I have to go back to Bloomington. But it was, it wasn't complicated, but I didn't know who to approach. Uh-huh. And so I wrote to Evanston, and they immediately wrote back and said they have all the information. This club sponsored you. Here's the next incoming president got me in touch right away and immediately Jim Bright responded and invited me to come because I said I'd be interested in coming back. And so we set it up that I would come back in,
0: uh-huh.
1: in March of two uh, thirteen, I think it was when I came back and gave my historical report that I was supposed to give 36 years before that, well, you about, made, about my year. You made
0: quite an impression when you came back. Well, That's why it, Jim Bright recommended you to wow. me.
1: It, it, was, it was amazing. It, and to be, of course, be back in Bloomington where I had I'd done my master's degree and studied for two years. And then to come back, and it, it was sort of like full circle. Uh-huh. You know, and especially coming back as president of a German club, mm-hmm. and and the whole adventure, the whole path from the ambassador scholarship to being president of you know a major uh, club in Essen, it, it was it was just a really amazing experience. Now you were
0: involved in founding a Rotary Passport Club too, correct? Right.
1: Exactly. Well, the when corona hit, I don't know how it was in the US, but most clubs here were encouraged to go online mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. meeting up in the beginning was just too dodgy and nobody really knew what was going to happen. So basically the whole last two years were online. And about a year ago, our, our governor, we had a female governor, Sheva, she was involved with or considering starting a passport club. And I was still in Rotary Club Essen, but of course for a year or two nobody had really seen each other except mm-hmm. for online. And and for, she she approached me about it and it just resonated with me. When I first heard of online clubs, I think they've been possible for quite a while. I always thought, oh, an e-club, you know, you know I'm going to go see people and stuff. But because of the corona thing, we were used to you know, meeting up this way. And actually, it has so many advantages to it, mm-hmm. is that no matter where you are, you can log in to a meeting. And in our club, the name of the club is Semper Apertus Germany, which means always open. And we have members that range between uh, the founding members, 24 to 78. We now have rotor actors who are now allowed to have double membership. We have members. We're based in a district 1900, which is here in Germany. But we have members in London, in the farthest away in the Emirates. We have mm-hmm. two members in Turkey and in all the areas of Germany, as we say, sempre apertus, always open, all ages, all persuasions. And we don't, it's not a theme, it's not a cause-based club or a theme club, but our motto is we celebrate diversity, equity, and inclusion. And our club is based basically on discussion and on dealing with certain themes and that at, at every meeting that everyone at some point can express themselves. And we're still a small club. We have about 24 members now, mm-hmm. but everyone has a, a role either for Rotaract or, or as the secretary or the, or the treasurer. Uh, so everyone is involved. And still, we were chartered in June of 2021. So we're mm-hmm. still developing. And we have one large project on its way. It's a it's in Pakistan. And in this project, it's involved with training women to become mediators. I think that's what you call it also in English, that they settle a lot of disputes between people not only in the courts, but through mediation. And the problem in this town that we're involved in is, is that from 23 mediators, only one is female, and it is to the disadvantage of women, especially in divorce cases and and or inheritance. So oh. we're working on having women trained to become mediators, so that's one of our our bigger, our global project, and right now it's very interesting because of the Ukrainian situation. you know, this is basically at our doorstep. All the rotor actors in Europe have developed a WhatsApp group with rotor actors in the Ukraine, and if if someone's standing at the border and doesn't know where to go, they get in touch with rotor actors, and they said, you know, well, you can come to us, we can only take you for a week or for two months or for two years, but sort of coordinating, I mean, hands on, they, they reacted immediately. And like I said, we have some uh, double members in the club, Rotary Act and Rotary. Small local projects is difficult because we're all over the place. and you know, we're mm-hmm. not just, there are a lot of us in the area of Essen where I live in our state here. But like I say, we have them all over Germany, and so we're still d- developing ideas how we want to position ourselves as far as more projects are concerned.
0: That's very interesting. So the Rotary Passport Club is an e club.
1: That's right. We meet twice a month online, uh-huh. and it's still like a, the passport. Meaning also, of course, it's like an all Rotary club's free to. Uh, participate in other clubs also. We meet twice a month, and the focus is on service. I mean, there are several new club forms, um, basically e-clubs, satellite clubs, corporate clubs, cause-based clubs. We have also in our district an eco club called Planet. Mm -hmm. Some of them are theme-based. There's also another passport club in our district, which is peace and conflict prevention, but they have really a theme. And I think this is a big part of the future of Rotary because a lot of the rotor actors, I was in the last Rotary year, I was the alumni representative for the whole district. Mm -hmm. And I got together a a big alumni group, which was also, because we could meet online. We've scared up 800 alumni in our district. We also included the... Exchange uh, students and scholars and GSE scholars, and a lot of the younger people said, "You know, we can't take off two hours at lunchtime." You know, the traditional clubs still meet up usually sometime during the week at noon, or sometimes in the evening. But they said, when they're starting their careers, if you want younger Rotarians, mm-hmm. then they they just or have families. It's difficult for them. And so I online clubs, we 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 meet at eight o'clock in the evening. People with young children, their kids are in bed, you know, they have an hour where they can, you know, have a glass of wine or just and log in and come to a rotary meeting. And I think that's going to be a great part of the future of Rotary. Yes. We have no trouble getting members, plus, we're not bound to our area or our district i think it's a it's a really realistic way of developing rotary and we did meet up once for our charter meeting we met near the frankfurt airport in a small really nice town mm-hmm. so we had members fly in from the emirates from london almost everyone came you know and we do intend to meet up once or twice a year so that you know we actually See each other, and like I say, there's a lot of members in the area where I live, so we see each other anyway. But we try to get together once or twice a year.
0: So what's next for you? And I know you and I have talked a little bit that you're actually officially retired from university position.
1: Well, I've been retired officially for five years, but I, I think I work more than I used to, because and I'm very lucky because I've had a lot of success in what I do, and I get invited to teach master classes, workshops. I've taught all over Europe. I've taught in Israel, in Vienna, in in Mm -hmm. Holland, in in the Czech Republic, and invited to teach courses. I'm very active in teacher training. So just this weekend, actually, three days, there was a a teacher's training course in another part of Germany, where I and some other colleagues give courses for people who want to develop more pedagogically. I teach quite a bit at home. I have usually professionals or students who come to me at home. And of course, the big thing is as of July the 1st, I will be president of Rotary Club Semper Apertus, Germany. Now, <laughs> so, right now, it's it's interesting because it's so different than being president of a traditional club. Well, uh-huh. we don't have those meetings live, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't just organize a trip to a museum or a concert or whatever, because we're not here, we're all online. So setting up a program for the club, which will basically all be online. Interesting, of course, interesting lectures and talks. We sometimes will take a meeting and just pick a theme and talk, which I think is really important among us. And like I say, it's important that everyone always has the chance to express themselves in a meeting and it's interesting I've been in this club now since June July and I was in the traditional club for 15 years but I have the feeling that I know the people in my present club better than Mm -hmm. I did in the traditional club because we're always involved with each other Uh, whereas in a traditional club I mean it was a big club Mm -hmm. sometimes the tendency is well let's the the board do everything, you know, or, or like take care of the projects and we'll come and have lunch and talk a little, you know, And right. just wonderful. I mean, I loved also my club and they did wonderful projects and, but it just turned out through the, the whole Corona thing and the online thing that this is like, I will be also in another country in April and May, I can log into the meetings and I don't have to miss. I have great presence.
0: <laughs> there could be somebody who's listening right now that might want to visit your club. What languages your passport clubs speak? Well,
1: of course, we speak German. But every last Sunday in every other month, we have in the, of course, it's our morning. That wouldn't work for you. But we would go to English if if someone would want to visit us, I, especially in my year. As I say, as of first of July, somebody wants to come, everyone speaks English. You know, it's just when we're among ourselves, we speak German. But it would be wonderful to have Mm -hmm. people come and visit us. And even if they want to come visit now, we meet on once a month on a Monday and on a Thursday. But they should get in touch with me through my email address, and would be thrilled to have people come and see what we do, how how this
0: works. I will include your email address in the show notes. Very good. Very good. What's What's next for you?
1: it's interesting in my work, I've been doing what I've been doing now for about 36 years. And I I feel like I'm just starting to understand a lot of it. And I learn something new every day. And like I say, developing a new Rotary Club form. Other things I do, like I'm learning Hebrew. Yeah, my husband's Israeli. And we have an apartment in Tel Aviv, which now we have taken over for ourselves just for vacation Mm -hmm. and so for the last two or three years every one every wednesday i log in and take an online hebrew class and i think this is so important not just to learn the language but to Mm -hmm. learn something that is so totally foreign to anything i've ever learned i'm going to be 71 this Mm -hmm. year and to just get that mind working stretching things learning new things i could say i find when I retired, it, it's really like, I won't say life starts, but it's it's a new life, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't the end of anything. It was like the, a new beginning. I keep physically very active. Which, of course, as we know, as, as a colleague of mine says, "The older you get, it's sort of like an, an old car. You have to invest more time in money <laughs> your yes. body. know When I was 59, I decided to fulfill a lifelong dream, and I, I started training as a lifeguard mm-hmm. swimming. Swimming is my sport. Wow. And this is tough, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's great and I love doing it. And I will probably never get my badge, but I have fun doing the training and I do a lot of sports and everything's just developing forward.
0: How could a listener connect with you?
1: In the sense that they could just send me an email Uh you know, if that that kind of connection, for sure. I'd be thrilled to exchange, especially from, of course, from the U.S. and in connection with the roadie, if anyone's, you know, has an interesting topic or a subject that they, you know, are really interested, come and give a, you know, talk at our club Uh because it's online. It's great.
0: (laughs) Now, there could be somebody who's listening to this conversation that wants to learn from you. How could they connect with you to learn? Would that email be the best way?
1: email is the best way right okay. and then we'll meet up what i like to do is if i want to you know meet up then i'll I'll set up a zoom uh-huh. and it's so easy and to have a talk i find that much more connecting than yes. just telephoning or emailing and set up a zoom meeting and have a chat it's re- it's really like having people right next door so feel free you know to to send me a mail if they have it anything they you know want to talk about. Or like I say, I'm always uh, interested in new ideas about rotary and looking for themes or like projects. If someone's mm-hmm. interested in going into a project with us in some way, like I say, semper apertus, always
0: yeah. open. <laughs> Do you have a call to action you want to invite listeners to accept?
1: I have a, a quote that is so meaningful to me. My philosophy of life is basically based on the quote from Henry David Thoreau from Walden. I think everyone knows it. It's the different drummer quote that if a man does not keep step with his companions, maybe it's because he's marching to a different drummer. Let him march to the music that he hears, however distant or far away. We include everyone. And if we're just sort of like a little bit out of step It's all right. And that's why in our club, we have Mm -hmm. such such various members, and that we really, it's about first of all, accepting yourself. It's okay. However, you're marching through life, that's your call, and stay true to yourself to that.
0: Thank you so much for being a guest today, Noelle.
1: I had such a wonderful time. It's really warming my heart.
0: has been a privilege for me, too. And thank you so much for listening to us today. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.